your startup journey. This is the RTE News at One with Brian Dobson. The headlines this Friday lunchtime. The board of RTE is holding an emergency meeting this afternoon to discuss the fallout from the resignation of its chair, Shuan Nirahali. Opposition parties have criticised the Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, for her handling of the controversy. And in other news, the Russian President Vladimir Putin has said he plans to increase spending on the war in Ukraine. The news in detail now with Susan Jackson. The resignation of Shuni Rahali as chair of the RTE board has prompted a wave of reaction from government and opposition politicians. RTE has said there was some confusion regarding a question from the Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, to the chair of the RTE board about the approval of exit packages at the broadcaster. Shuni Rahali resigned last night after Minister Catherine Martin refused to express confidence in her, claiming she'd been misinformed about board approval of exit packages. In the past few minutes, the RTE Director-General Kevin Backhurst said his role now more than ever was to bring stability to the very regrettable chaos that continued to threaten all attempts to move forward. Our work in technology correspondent Brian O'Donovan reports. Shortly before one o'clock this morning, Shuani Rahali issued a statement announcing her resignation as chair of the RTE board. Just hours earlier, the Minister for Media, Catherine Martin, had appeared on RTE's primetime and refused to express confidence in Ms. Nirahali, claiming she'd been misinformed regarding the board's approval of recent exit packages. In her resignation statement, Shuni Rahali said that in her meetings with the Minister this week, she had neglected to recollect that the exit package of the former Chief Financial Officer Richard Collins did go before the Renumeration Committee of the board. She said she subsequently contacted the department to clarify the details and remind them that she had previously told them about the matter in October. RTE said in a statement today that some confusion had arisen regarding the question from the minister to the chair and that they thought it was taken as read that the department had been informed about the matter in October. A meeting of the RTE board is due to take place later today. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has expressed his confidence in the media minister, Catherine Martin. It follows mounting political pressure on Minister Martin, with the Labour Party describing her position as untenable. Sinn Féin has called on the Department of Media to publish any documentation it may have received relating to exit packages at RTE. It described developments in recent hours as a shambles. Here's Tommy Meskell of our political staff. Senior government figures are putting up a staunch defence of the media minister Catherine Martin today. A spokesperson for the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has said he does have confidence in Minister Martin. So too does the Tónista Michal Martin and the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan. But political pressure is building. The Labour Party has accused Catherine Martin of effectively conducting a summary dismissal of the former chair of the RTE board, Shuni Rahali, on live television. Sinn Féin has called for Minister Martin to answer questions in the Dáil and for her department to release any documentation it may have received relating to recent exit packages at RTE. Tommy Meskel, RTE News, Leinster House. In other news, the Russian President Vladimir Putin has said he plans to increase spending on the war in Ukraine. Speaking on the eve of the second anniversary of the invasion, Mr Putin set out his objectives. 
В современном мире немало тревожных вызовов и рисков. There are many alarming challenges and risks in the modern world, and therefore the powerful potential of our army and navy are a guarantee of Russia's security. It's free, sovereign development. We will continue to strengthen the armed forces in every possible way. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is reported to have presented to his cabinet an outline plan for post-war Gaza. Israeli newspapers suggest that the plan includes proposals to install Palestinian officials with no links to Hamas or to countries which Israel believes support terrorism. The Israeli military would be able to operate throughout the territory for an indefinite period to prevent militant attacks. A representative of Fatah, which governs the occupied West Bank, has called the plan a recipe for disaster. The emergency services in Valencia in Spain are attempting to cool down a high-rise residential building that was engulfed by fire yesterday. They're planning to carry out the search once the structure is deemed safe. Four people died in the fire. At least 14 people are unaccounted for. Michael Pollitt, a journalist in Valencia, said three days of official mourning had been declared in the city. This is officially the, the worst uh, fire suffered in, in the city of, of Valencia, I would say, ever. You know, the, the way it just happened, the way the, the fire kick-started, it, it, you know, expanded and, and, and suddenly engulfed the whole, the whole building. A dedicated statutory agency established to deliver the government's strategy on domestic sexual and gender-based violence has been formally opened. Dr Stephanie O'Keefe has been appointed as CEO. Here's our social affairs correspondent, Alva Keneally. The statutory agency, Cúin, which is the Irish word for harbour or haven, is a central part of the government's zero-tolerance strategy on domestic, sexual and gender-based violence, which was launched almost two years ago. With a budget of €59 million this year, Cúin will be responsible for directly funding specific domestic, sexual and gender-based violence services and for monitoring and supporting them to ensure robust standards are developed in collaboration with the sector. It'll coordinate with other state bodies to drive the delivery of safe and accessible refuge accommodation nationwide. Dr Stephanie O'Keefe, who worked as the HSE's National Director of Health and Wellbeing and more recently as its National Director of Operations Planning, has been appointed CEO for a five-year term. RTE Radio 1 Weather with Grant. For effective, efficient and balanced warmth throughout your home, choose Grant Uflex Underfloor Heating. Visit grant.ie. It'll be cold today with sunny spells, showers of rain or hail will be heaviest and most frequent over the western half of the country with isolated thunderstorms. Highest temperatures will range from 5 to 8 degrees. And there's a warning that northwest winds will reach gale force 8 at times this evening and overnight on coasts from Mizzenhead to Loophead to Slinehead. Brian. Thank you, Susan. Still to come this lunchtime, I remain absolutely focused and committed to RTE. Director General Kevin Backhurst addresses the fallout from the shock resignation of Chair Shuini Rahali as the crisis deepens over what Minister Catherine Martin's department knew about exit packages and when. We'll hear from the chairperson of the Oireachtas Media Committee, Neve Smith. Also, more than a thousand international protection applicants without state accommodation and staff at the Football Association on the controversy engulfing the organisation. Their union calls for transparency. 
time for a new kitchen? You could save hundreds of euro with Cash and Carry Kitchens. This February, we've extended our free fitting offer on selected kitchens in our 17 showrooms nationwide. And we've also launched our stunning new range of kitchens, so there's plenty of styles and colours available. Your new kitchen will be the heart of your home. For a free design consultation and free fitting, ask the experts in your local showroom or visit cashandcarrykitchens.ie. Terms and conditions apply. Daniel Chok the Ishle Agus Ard Kostish Finev, Toshitovtuk Gavani Gaktin Ate, Agus Falain Sagira. Toshitovtuk a Hishkin Freshen, Gasawalter Aragad, Agus Galaitita and Shunker Aran Aeroid, nor a Hawalter Finev. Is back the Maha either Hermestat the Laidu Fichema Wine. Gan Farish Ardinev, Aul Shamadori, a Usoj, Ahawan Nurzgal, Agus Ganan Tass, a Kurer Ishomri Nachwilin Usoj. Ton wheel to say Kurtakiak the eggsula er foil, Conan Tuluk erar daily galaidu. Kantakiak dagas corla a oil, take quick gov, punkai, all slash you side knees loo. O real to snaherden. Hello again, you're listening to the News at One. The Director General of RTE, Kevin Backhurst, has pledged to remain in the post following the shock resignation last night of the RTE Chair, Shuani Rahali. In a message to staff this lunchtime, Mr Backhurst says that, quote, no matter what events overtake the headlines in the short term, please know that I remain absolutely focused on our shared long-term mission to secure the future of RTE and public service broadcasting in Ireland. Ms. Nirahali announced her resignation in the early hours after Media Minister Catherine Martin had said she was deeply disappointed at being misinformed on two occasions this week by the RTE chair over an exit package for former executive Richard Collins. The minister told Primetime that her department did not know the package had been approved by the RTE Renumeration Committee. RTE disputes this and Cavan Backhurst has today backed up Shuan Nirahali's account that she informed the department back in October on October the 10th. Well, let's get the latest on all of this now from our work and technology correspondent, Brian O'Donovan. Brian, first, that latest statement from, from Kevin Backhurst in the last half an hour issued to staff here. Yeah, very much talking about how he is staying put. He's saying, I want to reassure you that I believe in RTE, I believe in our collective future. My role now more than ever, he says, Brian, is to bring stability to the very regrettable chaos that continues to threaten all attempts to move forward. His statement also praises Shuni Rahili. He said, this is a very uncertain settling time for all of us. Shun was an excellent chair and a great support to me throughout these incredibly challenging times. As I said last night, Shun believed in RTE and in its future and she will be sorely missed. This statement coming directly from Kevin Backers. An hour before, RTE more generally issued a statement very much backing up Shuni Rahali's account of all of this, doubling down on what they're saying. They were using words, Brian, like there was some confusion arisen regarding the question from the minister to the chair about the knowledge of these exit packages. And it seems, Brian, that at the centre of this, from RTE's perspective, is the difference between the remuneration committee of the board, which is a committee of the board, and the full board. And certainly from an RTE perspective, the impression we're getting is that perhaps the questioning from Catherine Martin was about the full board, and no, they didn't approve it, nor were they supposed to. That wasn't part of the process. It was supposed to go to the remuneration committee. And the sense we're getting from RTE is that Shuni Rahali told you this back in October. And there's a statement in the RTE, a line in the RTE statement rather today saying, this detail, referring to the fact that this knowledge was imparted in October, was taken as read. Although now it seems it shouldn't have been taken as read. So the stance from RTE is, look, we went into this meeting, 
We were asked about full board approval. We said no because it wasn't. But we assumed that when we were giving those answers, you remembered the fact that we told you back in October that it did go before this committee of the board. Right. Well, we on this programme put three questions to the Department of Media, Brian. We haven't got any answers to them, but listeners might be interested to hear the questions that we were posing. First of all, can the Department of Media confirm that it was informed by the RTE chair about that exit package for Richard Collins and or the process which led to his departure from RTE in a phone call or other communication on the 10th of October 2023. Did this communication confirm that Richard Collins' exit package went before the RTE board remuneration committee? And three, was the minister informed about this after the October 10th communication or phone call? Three crucial questions that, if we get answers, will tell us about the state of knowledge within the department in October. Absolutely. And that's what's key. Who was told what, when? When was it imparted? What level of detail was given? Now, when we come down to the granular detail, Brian, it's important to focus on another line, I feel, that was in that statement issued last night by Shuni Rahili just before one o'clock this morning announcing her resignation. And in that, she does acknowledge some fault on her behalf. And she says, there's a line about, um, I beg your pardon, now it was across a wide range of issues. I neglected to recollect that Richard Collins' exit package did go before the remuneration committee. This was not an intentional misrepresentation, and I subsequently contacted the department to clarify the details and remind them that I had previously appraised them of this matter. So I suppose from Shuni Rahli's perspective, what she's saying here is that, again, we come back to this line of, we assumed you knew, we took it as read that you knew, we had told you last October, we thought this was the case. However, she does say that she had neglected to recollect that the Richard Collins' exit package did go before the remuneration committee. And I suppose what's interesting now to see is the political fallout from all of this. Catherine Martin, her opponents accusing her of effectively sacking Shuni Rahali on air by making this statement out there. And it's going to rumble on most certainly today over the coming hours. We know that there is a meeting of the RTE board later on this afternoon. And there's now a question about who will chair that board meeting. Presumably the board members will have to make some decision in relation to that. And uh, in, the, in the medium term, uh, who, who will then take over the chair? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a question I put to the, represent, the PR representative company looking after the RTE board. Who is the chair now? Will there be uh, an interim chair appointed? No clarity yet on that. Presumably that will become clearer as the day progresses and as this uh, meeting takes place later on today. And I suppose important to point out again, every time there's a crisis like this, it's the staff that look on, aghast sometimes and wondering what's going on. And that was certainly referenced in Kevin Backhurst's statement that he issued to staff in the last few minutes talking about the unsettling time, the chaos that we are currently having right now. Also a statement just to bring you in the last few minutes as well, Brian, from the NUJ, the National Union of Journalists who would represent the journalists working here at RTE, describing it as a further blow to the morale of staff, saying the last thing that RTE needs is another crisis, and then pointing the finger at the government as well in this, saying the ongoing failure of successive governments to reform the funding of public service broadcasting in Ireland has contributed to this crisis in RTE. Brian Donovan, thank you for that. We're joined on the line now by the chair of the Joint Eructus Media Committee, Deputy Neve Smith. A very good afternoon to you, Deputy Smith, and thank you for taking our, our call this afternoon. In effect, do you think last night did Minister Catherine Martin a sack Shuinli Rahali? Good afternoon, Brian, to you and your listeners. Um, I was watching prime time attentively, as I think the whole country might have been last night. And no, I don't believe that she did. I believe that um, she revealed to the country and to your good selves in RTE that there was an issue over miscommunication between herself and the chair. And I actually think as, as the story has unfolded, even in the last 24 hours or 12 hours since Ms. N- Nirahli has resigned too, I think that the department officials 
certainly um, have questions to answer too in relation to what's happened over the last couple of months because it would appear now that Miss Neerahli did inform uh, the department. It appears that she had inform- in fact informed um, the, the minister mm-hmm. and it is really unfortunate to see Miss Neerahli um, leave, resign from the position because it uh, has of course cre- deepened the crisis for RT itself. But I have to say Brian, I am heartened to hear the DG out this morning. I think that statement you're after mm. um, reading out is really important for the confidence of the staff because I, I know these have to be a difficult couple of days, much less a couple of months, but this certainly doesn't help the position. As chair of the media committee, what questions would you have for Minister Catherine Martin and perhaps more importantly for her, her officials? Yeah, well, I've been thinking about this since, since last night. And what I've asked the Secretariat of our committee to do is to reach out to the officials as of t- this morning and ask when they would be their first available opportunity to come before the committee because I think that's where we can try and resolve this and, and move it on. Um, and I think it's important that the, the officials, along with the Minister, and I will also mm-hmm. be asking the clerk to extend that invitation to the former uh, Secretary-General of the Department, Miss Catherine Lickham, because I know she was has been so so helpful to the committee in the past in helping us I suppose to to get through all of this stuff from a department mm-hmm. perspective she's not that long as the position I would appreciate obviously she doesn't have to come before us but I think it would could be really helpful and all the team within Catherine Martin's uh, officials to come before the committee because I think that's where we can resolve mm-hmm. who knew what when and I would concur with some of my colleagues who's asked for the minutes of the remuneration committee um, of that particular meeting on the 9th of October that ratified the exit package for Mr Collins for all of those minutes to be made available to us. How concerned would you be that uh, all this is is further complicating the efforts to uh, reform RTE and indeed to put in place a sustainable funding model for public service broadcasting? Well, as I've said, Brian, our last committee meeting with uh, RTE um, really was, I was hoping, would could draw a line under this and allow the organisation to move on, to allow the DG and the, the then chair to move on, because I do believe they are doing their, their, their mightiest and their best to try and help the organisation get out of these difficult times. And I heard, you know, the NUJ there in, in their statement saying that, you know, that there are big decisions, decisions for the government to be made, and those decisions are being made on behalf of the taxpayer who was looking on and I really had thought that if we we got to a position where all the information and all that transparency around the exit packages was on the table, it would help to instill confidence in the public that we could uh, move it on. So I do hope that um, the Minister and the officials will take the opportunity from the committee, put everything on the table, including the minutes of the meeting of the remuneration committee as well, so we can have that transparency and move it on to the next stage which is where we all want to be at as how we move the organisation on and put in place the uh, confidence and stability mm. with the funding that's ne- needed and required. I'm just wondering, w- would you have anything to say to the remaining members of the board? They're meeting this afternoon, maybe, I, I don't know, but maybe some of them are, are considering their positions? I would, I would appeal to them to support the DG in the work that he is trying to do. I know this is very difficult. I know people have got caught in headlights here without information. I've always um, been of the view that up to this point, uh, there has been a culture of uh, secrecy within the organisation. There's been an inner circle running the organisation and the board weren't given the information to enable them to make the decisions that they needed to and effectively run an organisation that's got the proper oversight and governance in place. And if I could appeal to them as difficult as it is 
to please stick with it because the last thing RTE needs at this moment in time is further resignations and I know it's a challenge but I do feel from our last committee hearing there is a good working relationship with them and the executive led by um, Kevin Backhurst mm-hmm. and I think that if we could just work on that and give it a chance to develop uh, I think really good things could happen for RTE into the future. And just to go back to that invitation which you say you'd like to issue to department uh, officials uh, to come in and to throw some light on, on, on all of this presumably one of the questions would be to see clarity and maybe we don't need to wait for a committee meeting for that in relation to this uh, 10th of October phone call that Shuani Rahali says she made to the department. Yeah, well, look, we're not going to get a meeting before next Wednesday. <laughs> a lot can happen in 12 hours, as we've seen, Brian. So, I mean, that would be really helpful. And also the call from the Minister for those who have received exit packages, if they could just be forthcoming and waiver their uh, right to confidentiality. All of those things could really help us move on for this, give us the transparency and put RT back on a, a steady float uh, in the sea, choppy seas that has been in over the last couple of weeks and months. Deputy Neve Smith, Chair of the Joint Eructus Media Committee, thanks for talking to us here on the News of One. There are now 1,010 recently arrived asylum seekers without state accommodation here, according to the latest official figures just published. Many are sleeping rough with scores of homeless international protection applicants in tents around the International Protection Office in Dublin city centre. Earlier, Integration Minister Roderick O'Gorman said it was a very concerning situation. So right now there are um, uh, around a thousand uh, male international protection applicants who haven't been given an offer of, uh, of accommodation. That's a, that's a really concerning situation. Um, our focus in recent weeks has been to ensure that we can provide accommodation for female applicants and for family applicants. We are doing that. Uh, and it involves us sourcing additional accommodation on a weekly basis and we're doing that and we're able to meet that those numbers at the moment but we are it, it is tight it is in tight even in terms of the provision of accommodation for families and uh, female applicants um, as you know we have a proposal uh, coming to cabinet uh, I hope in the next number of weeks I, I think it is seen across governments the importance of bringing forward a comprehensive strategy in terms of accommodation the Minister for Integration, Roderick O'Gorman. Let's talk to David Moriarty, who's Assistant Director with the Jesuit Refugee Service. A very good afternoon to you, David Moriarty, and thank you for talking to us this afternoon. This figure now of, of in excess of, of a thousand um, applicants um, without state accommodation, I imagine it's not a, a number that surprises you. No, it's not surprising, but it is a devastating milestone to reach. And I suppose it's not surprising given the extreme lack of accommodation coming on stream, particularly for single males. But what it means is that there's a lived reality for over a thousand individuals that's quite harrowing if they're on the streets. And look, what it equates to is that effectively since the beginning of the year, that means that one in three people seeking international protection in Ireland have effectively not been offered uh, accommodation. So, so as I say, it's, it's, it's a devastating and extremely concerning milestone to reach. And are most of them living on the streets or in tents? Well, look, the, the, the exact number on the street is, is not known, but mm-hmm. in terms of, you mentioned in your introduction, those living outside the International Protection Office. So when Jairus was visiting there over a week ago, there was approximately 30 to 40 individuals in tents. But I was just speaking to two International Protection applicants this morning who are, who, who have been there for a number of weeks, and they're saying that they estimate about 70 to 80 individuals are now there. So that's, that's over double the figure in, in a little over a, a week. Um, so, 
look, the exact number that are on the streets is not known, but the reality is that, yes, hundreds are on the streets and they're bitterly cold, they're scared, and ultimately they, they're falling into homeless, uh, into hopelessness because the very real prospect is that they'll have to survive for weeks, if not months now, on the streets of Dublin and elsewhere. And what services are available to them? What supports are there? Well, they are receiving an enhanced payment by the state and, and, and many have been able to access that. But their day is is defined by some mining the tents uh, so that they're not damaged in their absence and going to some of the day services, the homeless uh, services, accessing food, maybe being able to uh, charge their, their phone, requesting a sleeping bag or, or, or a tent if they don't have one and then returning to their home, which is a tent for the night. Um, JRS under our No Place to Call Home project have been able to provide some additional material supports, uh, particularly to those who are living outside the uh, International Protection Office and that's included tents that actually are waterproof because unfortunately in recent weeks we've had a number of protection applicants present saying that their tents are leaking and mm-hmm. all their goods, all their clothing that they have with them um, are, are, are soaked through to the bone. Now we know the government has been making efforts to secure accommodation but do, do you see any evidence to suggest the situation is going to change any time soon? Well unfortunately there, there, there's no timeline for, 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 for any of these individuals who are on the streets and as I say the, the real prospect is that they are facing weeks if not months and JRS and other organisations have repeatedly said that this, this needs to be viewed as a crisis um, and responded to on that basis. It needs to be a housing led response that brings on accommodation on an urgent basis and unfortunately and I appreciate how challenging it is I appreciate mm-hmm. the unprecedented numbers that are arriving into the country seeking international protection but we're not seeing that urgency and we're not seeing that accommodation coming on stream. But um, the numbers continue to arrive. The the conditions that um, single male applicants are facing or likely to face uh, being homeless without state accommodation, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be deterring people. People are, are still fleeing presumably what they believe to be dangerous or hazardous situations in their home countries. Well, I suppose what awaits them in Ireland has no bearing on what has compelled them to leave. So they've been forced to to leave their home, to leave their friends, to leave their family, to undertake a hazardous journey to arrive in Ireland, hoping to find sanctuary, hoping to find welcome, to find refuge. So the conditions that await them have no bearing on what drove them away from the homes in the first place. All right. Well, um, we appreciate your time uh, this afternoon, uh, David Moriarty, and that uh, that state of Moriarty from the Jesuit um, uh, service speaking to us there. Thank you for that. At least four people are dead and up to 19 more missing after a fire engulfed a 14-storey apartment building in the city of Valencia in eastern Spain. Witnesses said the fire spread to the entire building in half an hour. The mayor has declared three days of mourning and Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez has visited the scene. Journalist Eugene Costello is on the line from Valencia. Eugene, what can you tell us about this fire, um, where it took place and, and what's known at this stage, if anything is known, about how it broke out? Sure. Well, first of all, the fire broke out approximately at 5.30pm last night and developed into a conflagration that engulfed the entire complex consisting of one multi-storey building and a tower block adjacent. And I've watched a video that was sent to me from just after 5.30 where you see a flat on the eighth floor completely ablaze and fairly quickly, the blaze spread, taking sheets of polyurethane cladding and also told us, which are awnings that the Spanish used 
to prevent rain or even harsh sun. Um, and the whole thing just went up almost like a candle. And as you just mentioned, we have four confirmed dead. Firefighters sent up drones last night. They were on balconies. Uh, so the presumption is they died of smoke inhalation. But they can't speak about the 19 missing. We know 19 people are missing. I've heard a report from a source that at the beginning of the fire, voices were heard shouting fire in English. Mm -hmm. And the mayor, Maria Jose Catala, has confirmed that there is a possibility that some of the uh, victims were, in fact, tourists. And there are 19 people missing, as I say. Crews can't go in because the building is still a smouldering wreck. Mm. Uh, but the fear is that the death toll will rise significantly. Well, indeed, in terms of the identity of those who perished and those who are missing, it's it's too it's too early uh, to uh, to be able to say who who the victims are. But, but what part of town was this in? Was it in a tourist area, for example, Eugene? Well, uh, a lot of Valencia is touristy now. Mm. It's relatively central. It's four kilometres from where I live in an area called Ruzafa, and it's in a kind of new part of Valencia that's been developed in the past two or three decades. And there are question marks about the construction. Esther, Esther Puchades, who is the deputy head of Valencia's Industrial Engineers Association, said... Um, that the uh, bad reputation of polyurethane at the time of construction was not so widespread as it is now in the wake of Grenfell and other disasters around the world. So she clearly thinks that cladding is the issue. Mm. The other thing to mention is that in eastern Spain, we have quite significant wind, and that seems to have been a huge factor in causing the great ferocity of the fire. The wind blew the fire from flat to flat very quickly, and by about 6 p.m., it seems like the entire complex was ablaze. Mm. Very similar to Grinfell in terms of the images that have been provided. And what about the, the reaction there? People, I'm sure, horrified. There was a festival due, I think, and that's been cancelled. Is that right? Well, uh, people are absolutely horrified, and as well as the three days of official mourning, the official start of FIAS, which is a huge Valencian festival based around fires and fireworks, ironically, has been cancelled, which is a huge thing because it's very much part of the Valencian culture. That was to take place this Sunday, but the mayor has confirmed that it has been cancelled. All right. Eugene Costello in Valencia, thank you very much for that. We'll be back with more after this short break. Allure. It's more than just attraction. Allure is instinct, being drawn to the extraordinary. And at Peugeot, Allure defines everything we do. Feeling secure, wrapped in luxury, ingenious technology. And you'll find it in the stylish new Peugeot 408. Are the new E2008, the SUV that's built around you. Experience Allure by reserving your test drive at Peugeot.ie. Fly KLM Royal Dutch Airlines from Dublin Oak Cork Airport and discover over 160 destinations worldwide with convenient transfers via Amsterdam. With frequent departures from Ireland, flying KLM Royal Dutch Airlines, you can take off to amazing Amsterdam, breathtaking Buenos Aires, bustling Bangkok, characteristic Cape Town, discover Dubai or visit vibrant Vancouver. Book now at klm.ie. RTE Radio 1. 
Shania Twain. Let's go, girls. Live in Dublin. Shania Twain. That don't impress me much. Performing one incredible show. Malahide Castle on Friday, June 28th. Tickets available now from Ticketmaster.ie. Subject to license. Let's go. Tickets available now. Music updates on RTE Radio 1. Hello again, you're listening to the News at One. A fish native to the Amazon in South America and known as the vegetarian piranha has been found dead in a lake in the northwest. Inland Fisheries Ireland say they're examining the two kilogram paku after its discovery by an angler on Loch Garadice near the Cavan Leitrim border at the weekend. Barry Fox, head of operations with Inland Fisheries, has been telling this programme of its ongoing battle to protect Irish waters from invasive species. I asked him first about the discovery of this paku fish. On the 18th of February, on Sunday, uh, one of our local anglers in Garadice Lake in County Leitrim identified a strange-looking fish on the shoreline, um, and it has been identified as a paku fish, which is native to the Amazon basin in South Amer- in, and different parts of South America. And have you any idea how it got there? Um, we don't. Uh, that's under investigation. Um, and the, the fish is actually with our research section for analysis just to confirm uh, c- categorically that it is a paku fish. But we, we, we suspect that it may have been held in, a, in an aquarium somewhere and outgrew its, its location. It's very definitely not native to, to Irish waters. It's, a, it's a, a cousin of the piranha. Is that right? That's right. It's a relation of piranha. It, it is a vegetarian. I might add. It, it generally um, it, it consumes um, plants and aquatic uh, aquatic growth and stuff like that and nuts. Um, it has quite a, a, a large mouth with a with a very um, kind of beak like uh, uh, mouth. Mm-hmm. So it, it could still bite your finger, I guess. But you no. Know, I don't think we will have any issue with them. Um, we have carried out uh, stock assessments on Garadice Lake uh, in the previous year and no no additional fish were ever identified uh, in that water body. And how often, Barry, do exotic species turn up in our lakes and rivers? It, it happens from time to time. Um, we've had issues with uh, chub in the Indian in past years. We identified a sturgeon in the Shore River in 2023. Um, we, we suspect that that came from a, an aquaculture facility outside of Ireland. Um, we get reports of terrapins and tortoises in rivers and, and sunning themselves on rocks from time to time. But yes, it is, it is something that happens and unfortunately it's on the increase. And the issue here is the the impact that, that these species, if they started to breed in any number, could then have on native species? Absolutely. So um, some some of the non-native species that get introduced become quite invasive and can impact on our natural our natural fish populations and even the the flora that, that populate these 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 locations. So you can have significant impacts on our natural biodiversity, which obviously uh, is not something we want to see. Mm. So the the paku, presumably, your, your assumption at this stage is this this was a once off in in Garadice, but in the situation in the River Inni, the Chub, what do you what do you do? when when you're trying to uh, deal with this kind of uh, species? 
Yeah, so I suppose the, the chub issue, the, we, we have made attempts to eradicate the species in the River Innie, and we would have removed significant amounts of them over a period of time, um, but they do seem to, we, we have ag- anecdotal information at the moment that they are reappearing. I suppose if you look at the aquatic plants that are invasive in Ireland, I suppose you look at the likes of Loch Carib, um, Inland Fisheries Ireland currently are man- trying to manage that, 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 inv- that invasion, and that is costing us just in that water, bo- water body in excess of a half a million euros a year. Mm. But how do you re- remove fish? Because they're they're you know they're, they're moving well, so, through the water. Yeah. So we we have we have methods of removing them through traps and through what we call electrofishing equipment. So we have these electrodes we put into the river and we shock the fish, and it it basically uh, turns them up and brings them attracts them into a net, and we can then remove the fish that we want to remove and release the fish back into the water that are native. Barry Fox from Inland Fisheries Ireland speaking to me earlier. Staff at the Football Association of Ireland say they're disappointed and upset following the performance of senior managers at an Eructus committee yesterday. The Public Accounts Committee was told that the FAI used some of the €33.7 million euro provided for COVID-19 resilience to pay off a legacy debt, which was against the terms of state funding. The committee was also told that the CEO of the FAI had received payment in lieu of holidays. For more, let's talk to Theresa Hannock, who's SIP2 Divisional Organiser for Services, which represents the workers in the Football Association of Ireland. A very good afternoon to you, uh, Theresa Hannock, and thank you for taking our call this afternoon. Good what, afternoon, Brian. What did your members in the FAI make of the, the exchanges at the, at the committee yesterday? Well, as you said, they were disappointed with the responses from the, the FAI in the committee yesterday. They're also furious that this is an organisation they work for and it has been attempting for the past three to four years to rebuild its reputation with the public in Ireland after difficult years, several difficult years. And once again, their their actions that, is, that, that came out yesterday are not fitting of a national sporting organisation. It's not fitting what they would expect. Of. You're calling for openness and transparency in terms of the way the FAI goes about its business, particularly its relationship with the staff. What would openness and transparency look like? Well, it would actually be to show a bit of respect to the workers that work in the FAI. Like our members for years have been trying to get to sit down with the uh, FAI to collectively bargain their terms and conditions of employment, their pay. Um, and that is something we've had extremely difficult problems with over the years. Like the FAI engages in collective bargaining with the League of Ireland and with its national teams. And it does not do the same as the direct, directly employed staff. We have a, an issue with pay in the organisation. Uh, we are in the for several months, we've been trying to negotiate with the FAA on pay. We've referred the matter to the WRC. Um, there's been a bit of intransigence on behalf of the FAI, but they announced to, uh, to the WRC they would attend, so we're waiting to confirm a date. Mm-hmm. And this is the key thing. We have a key issue about pay, and I think people need to understand that the people we represent, the administrative staff, Probably on an annual salary of sort of two thousand, development staff is forty thousand. And when people see the figures that are banded about in joint directors' committees, it, it's so distant from them. But and one of the issues is this question of payment in lieu of holidays, which of course was at the centre of the controversy in relation to Jonathan Hill. That was a shocking uh, uh, revelation when that came out, because our members are not allowed. 
uh, receive payment for uh, payment in lieu of holidays. If they have any excess holidays carried over the year, which can be very difficult for some of them to take, they're gone. Their excess holidays are gone. One other thing and you're looking... Sorry, go ahead. And, and, you know, to find that comes out. And then the way it seemed to be a trivialised throwaway remark that came out in the redacted email yesterday mm-hmm. was... It's, it's, you can understand the anger mm. that's in, in the FBI at the moment. Teresa, you, you also represent staff here in RTE, so I'd also like to get a sense from you as to how you, you think people are going to be reacting to the various developments over the last um, 24 hours or so in relation to Shuni Rahali's resignation and so forth. What, what do you make of what's been going on? Well, I know our members are extremely angry. This saga has been going on since July. Of, of last year, it continues. There's, we thought all the revelations and the exposés were over, but they just continue to come out. We had got commitments last year. The, the ordinary workers in RT got commitments from the management that there would be full transparency relating to all governance issues. And now we found out more golden handshakes and staff members being employed on freelance basis. And that, that's a shock and horror in it. And there is a shock. The resignation last night of the chair of the RT board is, 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 is it's horrific really to think what's going on. And there is a vacuum. There is, there's a big concern that there'll be a vacuum in the leadership of RTE, um, that needs to be resolved immediately. The, the leadership of our national broadcaster can't be allowed to drift any further. What our members are looking for is uh, full transparency, a creation of an action plan for the broadcaster and the commitment to good quality public broadcasting. In relation to this question of transparency, what, what information should be put on the table? A great deal of information, I think you'd accept, has come out over the last number of months. But what more needs to be put out there to be able to meet this uh, commitment uh, to full transparency that Kevin Backer certainly has been talking about? Well, it's a simple one would be last year we've, we're still, everybody in RT is still under the threat of 400 job cuts. And what we need to see is the creation of an action plan and the detail of the action plan for the broadcaster. Give the people that are working there something that there is a future for them. Put everything on the table. What needs to be said needs to be said. The drip feeding, all that does is creates anger. It continues to undermine people's the people who work there, and the public's confidence in the national broadcaster. Teresa Hannock from SIP2, thank you very much for that. Well, we did ask uh, Shuani Rahali if she would care to take part in the programme to uh, to uh, g- give us an interview. She's she's declined, but in a message to us, she has said that she'll be concentrating on moving on, although, and I quote, I am very sad at this outcome, not least for the staff, the organisation, my board colleagues, and of course, Kevin. Sport on RTE Radio 1. And it's good afternoon to Greg Allen, Greg. Afternoon, Brian. Three-time winners Liverpool have drawn Sparta Prague in the last 16 of the Europa League. The draw of which was made this morning. Brighton have drawn Roma, West Ham up against mid-table Bundesliga side Freiburg and Rangers against Benfica. All of those ties scheduled, the first legs that is, for the early part of next month. The Europa League final, of course, will take place in Dublin on May the 22nd. In the Europa Conference, Aston Villa have drawn Ajax in the last 16. And Manchester United's informed striker Rasmus Hoyland is expected to be out for between two 
two and three weeks with a muscle injury. The 21-year-old who has scored in his last six games will miss tomorrow's Premier League match, obviously, against Fulham and now looks almost certain to miss the Manchester Derby on March the 3rd. Uh, Republic, Republic, Republic of Ireland goalkeeper Quivine Kelleher looks sure to extend his run in Liverpool's starting team with number one, Alison Becker, not set to return until after next month's international break with a hamstring injury. So it'll be another Carabao Cup final for Kelleher. Liverpool face Chelsea in the decider on Sunday at 3 o'clock. Uh, the lengthy list of uh, Liverpool's injuries are quite uh, picking up some big names. Diogo Jota, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Curtis Jones all out by the looks of things for another month in an update that was given.